0: from John chapter 6, verses 35 to 51. So this morning we're going to be addressing the second part of Jesus' message, Jesus' word as the bread of life. And Jesus gets to the really hard or difficult part of his teaching. And he gets even harder next week. He's not obviously he's not talking about physical bread, about manna or even the barley loaves that he provided just moments earlier to the multitude on the side of the mountain. He is talking at a higher plane, at a higher level. He's lifting their eyes from the physical to the spiritual. Something From heaven that uh, not only sustains life or keeps life going, but actually is life-giving. That is the bread of life. And because it is Communion Sunday, we will look at the the last verses in the passage we read as part of our communion meditations. Just to give you a heads up as to how we will be doing it this morning. So, first of all, we're going to start with the invitation in verse 35. We touched on this verse last week. We regather or regroup at verse 35 again. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Notice how in this passage again, And again, he declares to them, in verse 35, I am the bread of life. In verse 48, I am the bread of life. In verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. The only way to be nourished by this bread, the only way to eat the bread of life, is by faith. It is by faith. It is not by works. It is not something we do. It is something... We feed on. And this bread is vastly superior to the bread that their ancestors lived on for many, many years in the desert, in the wilderness. That bread also came down from heaven, but it was only pointing towards something greater, towards something much, much more significant, to the actual giver of that bread in the desert. And though they ate the manna for all of those decades, for all of those years, all of those people who ate that manna eventually died. But the bread that God provides in Jesus is a bread that results in eternal life not temporary life. This is the true bread. This is the real thing. This bread is not for display purposes only, like you might see at Baker's Delight. It comes with an invitation. Come, buy and eat without money. Because the price has already been paid. Come is the invitation and be satisfied. But most don't. Why? Why is that? So let's look at some of the barriers in coming to Jesus and accepting his invitation to come there are many more barriers obviously but we'll look at just 3 from our passage first one is unbelief verse 36 as i told you you have seen me and still you do not believe jesus continues to hammer away at this matter of unbelief in fact throughout the gospel of john he tackles he tackles this matter of unbelief here in verse 36 it takes us Verse 36 takes, actually takes us back to verse 30, where they said to him, then what miraculous sign will you perform so that we may see it and believe in you? Jesus has already fed them, and, and these folks, to, to, for, for them to believe in Jesus, they want proof, they want more proof, and they want Jesus to provide it there and then. And Jesus has already performed many miracles before this, and yet they have not believed in Him. He has already told them everything they needed to know. It's not for lack of information or lack of education. They have seen Him at work. They have witnessed the miracles. They have heard His words. However, none of this, none of this brings them to faith. They continue, they persist in their unbelief. When we are sharing the gospel with unbelievers, oftentimes the oftentimes they will raise objections to faith that uh, You've you've heard them, the the popular ones. Evolution, the problem of suffering, errors or supposedly errors or inconsistencies, contradictions in the Bible, etc., etc. It is good to be prepared to answer these questions. This day and age, through the internet, you can... There are so many different videos and, 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 and articles written by experts and apologists of the Christian faith who can help us to, to answer some of the, the cynics and critics and sceptics and, and everything else that comes along. But even before going quickly to answer, to, to jump in to, to try and reply their answer, it might be good to ask some questions, just to prod a little bit as to where they are at. There are also questions that can help us do this. A, might, a, a possible reply might be, are you saying that if I give you reasonable answers to these issues that you've raised, then you will repent of your sins and follow Jesus? Uh, invariably they will rip on. Uh, well, actually there are other issues. And I suppose it just goes to show you that the so-called issues that they originally brought up are just smoke screens, trying to throw a smoke screen, try, throw you off a track because they don't want you to get to the real issue. fact is, They don't want to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You give them the intellectual answers, the biblical answers, logical, makes sense. You point all these issues to them and still it will not be enough. It wasn't enough for Jesus who performed the miracles. The master teacher, the master rabbi, the, the Lord himself explaining things in a way that even children could understand performing miracles in front of them, then still they do not believe. And today we think, oh, Jesus, if you would just heal my grandmother, I'm going to believe for the rest of my life. I will commit my life to you. Now, I have seen I have seen people commit their lives after Jesus miraculously heals their children and, and they dedicate their lives good on them for doing that. A lot of people come... To Jesus, like a doctor, like a hospital. As soon as they're out of there, it's over. All those promises I've made, yeah, 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 when I was driving out here in the car, Lord, if you help me, you know, I'm going to do it. As soon as everything gets better, away they go. People do not reject Jesus because they lack solid evidence for believing in him. No. No amount of miracles or evidence will suffice. People reject Jesus. Why? John told us this in chapter three. People reject Jesus because they love darkness rather than the light. That is it that is it. They love darkness. What is another what is another problem that we have to face? Another barrier that people put up for not coming to Jesus. Another one is grumbling. Verses 41 and verse 43. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And in verse 43, Jesus said this in verse 43, stop grumbling among yourselves. Now the word complain or or grumble implies complaining against Jesus behind his back because notice that their words are not addressed to Jesus but to others amongst themselves about Jesus. It must be said that for many grumbling is a full-time occupation Remember that it was because of their grumbling that all the Israelites, except two, died in the wilderness because, I mean, one of their grumbles amongst the many grumbles uh, was the manna. They got sick of the manna that came down from heaven. And now, years and years and years later, they're looking back to their and ancestors, hey, that was wonderful manna. And yet, but your parents complained about it. They wanted to go back to Egypt. That is why Paul tells the Corinthians he says to them in 1 Corinthians 10:10 10, 10, he says, "And do not grumble as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. It doesn't say they, di- they died of natural causes, does it They were killed by the angel? Grumbling. He's actually, God actually takes it seriously. So, uh, uh, grumbling is, is not strictly the domain of unbelievers. The whinging and the complaining. It appears that those of us who are believers are also very much prone to this disease. as a father, as a pastor and even as a son of God. I know all about grumbling. While it is understandable for those who do not believe and have a hope, have an eternal hope to complain about anything and everything Those who do have a heavenly father, those of us who do have a heavenly father have less of an excuse to do so. Sad thing is that grumblers invariably set themselves up as somewhat sovereign over God himself. They want to run God's program. And correct him in his mistakes, apparently. If God only saw things my way, we wouldn't be in such a mess. So, grumblers, in a way, are not in submission to God's sovereign rule. They want to tell God how to run the world so that they will go their way, and, you know, He needs to run the world their way so that they're happy. So here is my updated version of an old hymn. Those of you, some of you might recognise this verse from an old hymn. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus and to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise and to know, thus saith the Lord, Jesus, Jesus, how I grumble, how I grumble o'er and o'er. Jesus Jesus, precious Jesus, let me grumble even more. Andy, you want to we might have to sing this one next Sunday as a favorite. Well <laughs> it's an honest song, isn't it? It's an honest version. Sad, but honest. What's another barrier? Another barrier is the, the, the fact of Jesus' humanity, the incarnation of Jesus. They said, and, and that has to do with familiarity, familiarity as well, uh, verse 42, they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I, I came down from heaven? While they might not be able to explain or easily explain away the feeding of the 5,000, they are trying to explain, they go on another, they change tack, and so they go away, away saying, in effect, we know who Jesus is and where he came from. We know about his birth as a mere man, a mere mortal. How can he now solely claim to be divine? If you were there, you'd probably be thinking, well, it's not such it's not really such a bad question when you stop and think about it. If Jesus was born of earthly parents alone, then his claim to have come from heaven appears to be absurd. But these people don't really have the full the full facts. And even if they did, they still would have wouldn't have believed. While Mary, as we know, was his biological mother, Joseph was not his biological father. And it wasn't just Jesus who testified to his divine and heavenly origins. There were many other witnesses, and we already saw some of them in the early chapters of John and in other Gospels. But his opponents closed their eyes to these witnesses because it was willful unbelief, which is not going to believe. The virgin birth of Jesus is not a take it or leave it type of doctrine. Something, it is, in fact, something that is actually quite important. It's an important part, a crucial part of our Christian faith. Yet, there have always been those who have struggled against this essential doctrine, even within so-called accepted Christian circles. For example, Baptist pastor Martin Luther King, you all would have heard his name. There is, He actually denied the virgin birth. He did his whole doctorate. It. He denied the sinless life of Jesus, denied the bodily resurrection, denied the second coming, amongst other things. A good question then might be, and he was a Baptist pastor by the way, a good question might be, why do people continue to believe that Martin Luther King was a Christian, let alone a pastor, when he denied? The essential doctrines of the Christian faith. It's a reasonable question, isn't it? What does it take to be a Christian these days? I mean, do, are we going to, you know, dumb it down so, so you know, lower the bar so low that anybody can you just hop over? And we have to ask ourselves. This is why. I like to sometimes go into the deeper stuff and that's what we're about to do about Christian doctrine. And maybe as you walk out this morning, you yourself will start to grumble about some of the stuff you're about to hear. You ready? Alright. So let's look at the blessings. <laughs> the verses that follow contain truths which are Incredible blessings that we will never fully comprehend. It will never be fully comprehended by human minds this side of heaven. I'm just telling you like it is. At the beginning of our series, I mentioned that John is safe enough for a child to swim in, but deep enough for a theologian, a biblical scholar to drown in. So in these verses, we are stepping into deeper waters, so deep that great human minds have been unable to understand them, to fathom and to make sense out of them from a human perspective. We are talking about the tension between God's sovereignty and human responsibility. God's sovereignty, human responsibility. God's sovereignty has to do with election predestination, and human responsibility, the choices we make. Once when C.H. Spurgeon commented on God's election, God's sovereignty and God's election and human responsibility, he described them as a pair of railroad tracks. One side of the track is God's election on the other side of the track is God's responsibility. They run parallel to each other, but they never actually meet. But if you look far enough into the distance, he said, they appear to come together in the horizon. These doctrines are confusing to us and often appear to be contradictory in this life. But in eternity, they will make perfect sense. And I have friends on both sides, on this side of the railroad track and on the other, and they don't want to talk to each other. They all think that each other are right and wrong and they constantly egg me on and say, well, which side are you on, Paul? If you were believing such and such a thing, you could be part of this group. If you believe in such a way, well, you can be part of this group. And because I, I don't want to wear one T-shirt or the other, they, I tell them, I believe what the Bible is saying. And they say, well, hang on, that, that, you, you can't just say that. That's too easy. Well, I'm, I'm telling you what the Bible is teaching here. So, being Father's Day, many of, many of us will probably, I'm anticipating here, will probably receive presents. But our Heavenly Father has already showered us with incredible blessings with the gifts He has given us. And these are some of the Father's blessings. Incomprehensible perhaps as some of it might seem. The Father's provision. uh, Verse 40. The Father's provision. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. Appears simple, doesn't it? While it might be free, it does not mean it is not costly for our God, for our Saviour. And if God had provided a thousand ways by which man could attain salvation, eternal life, mankind will still protest why there isn't a thousand and one. God provided one way and only one way by which we would have eternal life. Praise be to God that there is at least one way. He didn't have to. He didn't have to provide one way. But He did. Why? Because of love. How great is the love of the Father? Because of love. And eternal life is given to everyone who looks to the Son. To everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him. This is why Paul tells us, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ? And it is because a lot of these blessings are in the heavenly realms, sometimes it's hard for us to appreciate it and be thankful for them. But every day we have to be thankful for what we already see, for what we already receive. And then one day in his presence, in his glory, he said, wow, this is much more than I ever imagined or contemplated or could ever possibly understand. The Father's provision. Secondly, the Father's drawing, the Father's drawing verse 44 no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them and i will raise them up at the last day it is written in the prophets they will all be taught by god everyone who has heard the father and learned from him comes to me the favorite notion of man is that he is a free agent that he can do what he likes, when he likes and when it comes to salvation he can repent or not repent, believe or not believe. Man likes to think that his salvation is in his own power and discretion. But such ideas and notions are really contradictory to what our text is saying to us. I think the words of our Lord are clear, unmistakable cannot be explained actually any other way or have a different interpretation even though many interpretations have people have tried to jump over this and really struggle because you see man of himself man is incapable of himself to get anywhere if it wasn't for God, God must first begin by drawing man to Himself. Man does not think, "Hey, it's a great idea. I better go start looking for God." No, he's incapable because of his condition, because of sin, because of rebellion. Some believe that God's drawing means that He woos sinner. In the same way, perhaps, as a young man woos a girl that he's wanting to marry, or a girlfriend. But in the original language in the Greek, this word, to woo, to, to draw, not to woo, but to draw, is used in John chapter 1, verse 6, where, and, and, and also verse 11, where the disciples find themselves dragging a net full of fish this is a post-resurrection appearance of our Lord, the the dragging a, a, a net full of fish into the boat. One thing about that episode is that they didn't woo those fish to get into the net and then into the boat. They were dragged in. These fish didn't volunteer. They were dragged in. Australian biblical scholar Leon Morris said people do not come to Christ because it seems to them a good idea. It never seems a good idea to natural man. Apart from a divine work in their souls men remain contentedly in their sins. End of quote. So this drawing drawing of the Father is effectual. It results, it has a a result. It, it results in the sinner actually coming to Jesus in saving faith. It is the power of the Holy Spirit overcoming the self-righteousness of the sinner, convicting him, convicting him of his lost condition. Just to, to give you an idea of how this chain of redemption, of salvation works, there's one of the great passages is Romans eight twenty nine to 30. The chain of salvation. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed. i highlight all the important bits here. It's all important, but I'll just highlight some, some words there. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn, firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called, and these whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Like I said, we have a hard time understanding these things down here. We cannot fathom that, but we must still Believe them. It is the word of God. Spurgeon once said if you try to explain election you will lose your mind but if you try to explain it away you will lose your soul. If you try to explain election you will lose your mind but if you try to explain it away you will lose your soul. Another blessing is the Father's security. Verse, We go back now, verse 37 to 39. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me but raise them up on the last day. Jesus promises that all those who hear God's call and come to him, he will not turn them away. Obviously, the words cast out is the opposite of drawing as they carry the idea of driving someone away, pushing them away. Violent words, violent words. But the repentant sinner should not fear coming to Jesus. Regardless what the story is or where they come from, Jesus will not turn you away if you come to him. It also means that the eternal destiny of the believer is linked to contingent with contingent upon the son's submission to the father obedience to the father and his sacrifice during his incarnation and this is why satan tried to drive a wedge between the father and the son remember the episode in the wilderness you got all of this well why don't you do it this way let's do a shortcut let's do a deal the Son's will is to do the Father's will, and those whom the Father gives. And whoever the Father gives, the Son, the Son gladly receives, because the Father gives them to him. And those who the, the, the Father gives, he gives for keeps. It's not like you're in, you're out. You're in, you're out. It's not a case of musical chairs. Once you're in, you're in. And the sun keeps for eternity. It means that death is no barrier. How many times did we hear those words? I will raise them up the last day. It's a great comfort, isn't it? When you're at the grave, when you're saying goodbye to a loved one. These promises are what keeps us going. This is the hope that we have. Death is no barrier for our Lord has authority over life and death and the power to raise them up at the last day. Final thoughts. It's important to affirm that the doctrine of God's sovereignty in salvation does not in any way restrict offering the gospel freely to all, to all and sundry. God makes a universal offer of salvation to all people. He cries that whosoever will may come. Salvation is a matter of fact. Salvation is a matter of grace. And he saves whomsoever he will. That is God's sovereignty. But there is also no denying the fact that man is responsible to believe in Jesus and to receive Him as Saviour. And here is the truth. If anyone is saved, it will be because of God's free grace. God will get all the glory. If anyone goes to hell, it will be their own fault. They will have no one to blame but themselves. On one occasion someone asked Spurgeon how he reconciled the doctrine of election with the doctrine of human responsibility. And he responded by saying, I never reconcile friends. I never reconcile friends. So while we while we may not understand or fully understand election Predestination, human responsibility—they are still biblical doctrines that must be believed and accepted. John three sixteen: Whoever believes in Jesus will have eternal life. And in Revelations, the Bible ends with this open invitation. Revelations twenty two seventeen. The Spirit and the Bride say, "Come," and let the one who hears say, "Come," and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. The invitation is open. To come to Him. The Bible never says, it never says, if you're one of the elect, come. It invites every sinner to come to Jesus just as you are and know that you are welcome by the Father through the Son. If you are here this morning, if you believe in Jesus Christ, it's because the Lord has opened your heart to believe. You believe because the Holy Spirit has broken down the barriers. He has imparted new life to you, apart from anything that you think you've done. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. Praise be to God for for His amazing and wonderful gift. Amen. Amen. Prepare our hearts to take part in communion. We're going to sing, Behold the Lamb.